Slate's TV Club Insider Podcast is sponsored by the new ABC series, American Crime. This March, one crime will affect so many lives. From the Oscar-winning screenwriter of 12 Years a Slave comes the year's most extraordinary drama. Don't miss American Crime, premiering Thursday, March 5th, 10, 9 central on ABC. The following podcast contains spoilers. We strongly recommend you watch the episode of The Americans we're discussing before you listen to this podcast. The following podcast contains explicit language. Welcome to Slate's TV Club Insider Podcast for Season 3, Episode 5 of The Americans, Salang Pass. In this episode, we're going to talk about disguises, accents, and KGB sex training. I'm Molly Nussbaum, the script coordinator here at The Americans. We are back today in our writer's office in Brooklyn, New York. I'm here with my bosses, Joel Fields and Joe Weisberg, and the star of our show, Matthew Reese. I am genuinely, <laughs> having listened to the entire thing, I'm genuinely, into, I'm mirth intimidated. What do you do for the show, Matthew? Uh, as little as possible. <laughs> <laughs> we've been saying that for years. I know, I know, but we've kept it quiet this far. <laughs> well, now I've ruined it. I'm so sorry. No Welcome problem. aboard, Philip Jennings. Thank you. Good to be here on this pirate ship. <laughs> What's the accent you're doing? I'm uh, confused. It's 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 a new it's a new there's a new wave of uh, American actors who found that if you adopt a British accent, you've got more chance of finding gainful employment in the United States of America. Ooh, very clever. That yes. seems to be working. Yes. Yeah. I, I attended a small um, accent school in Indianapolis, <laughs> where, where they like to spe- uh, their specific one is Welsh. Like. That's great. And you immediately started working right after that. I did. I think things took off. <laughs> Great. Great. (laughs) Well, thank you for joining us. It's been glorious. We're out. (laughs) That's enough of that. Uh, Speaking of disguises, Mm. good ones and bad, there are five iterations of Philip Jennings in this episode. There is Philip Jennings, American house husband. Yes. There is young... Hang on, whoa, whoa go back. Yeah, go that's back. not a disguise. <laughs> yes. Wait a minute. And, and also, I'm, not sure, I'm, I'm not sure like, that, that's the first thing that comes into your head when you say Philip Jennings. Philip Jennings, American house husband. <laughs> I thought that was a great way of breaking that down. He's not a spy. He's a spy. He's also not really oh. him. You know what I mean? It's like you're, you a guy, you're the Russian playing the American. How, what? Go this back, can't go be the back. first time you've go heard back. that way of breaking it down. What? Because we've seen Jennings' husband. At least travel agent. All oh, right, you can be a travel agent. There's a whispers of adventure about him if he's a travel he's agent. He's got a job. So the fact House that you husband. just said whisper of adventure. Uh, what I'm saying is, a travel. If you say a travel agent, it. Uh, I think it offers a wisp of adventure <laughs> about something. I.e., they travel a little bit. <laughs> you're talking about somebody. I other people. You're talking about someone who killed four Navy SEALs at a Secret yes. training facility eight months ago. Yes, you went with the suffix house husband. Yeah, that's another day at the office, I would say. I don't know. An office would suggest, suggest he left the house. <laughs> Touche. Touche. Molly, that was you, can have you didn't back down for a long time against withering attack. That well, was now good. he. You can't see this in the podcast, but he's standing above me holding a club, and I'm feeling nervous. So I'm just going to let that one go. Yes. <laughs> but there's no. There's Misha the Russian, who we see in the flashback. Yes. Who some would say... Is occasionally disguised as Philip Jennings. The flashback at the end of this Yeah, episode. the very end. Right. Uh, well, then we see Clark. We mm. see the Scott disguise when you're with Yusuf. Yes. And then the Jim Baxter disguise yes. with Kimberly. Yeah. How the hell do you keep this all straight? Because we're also never shooting one episode at a time. No. And we're not shooting in order. And it's all over the place. Do you have a way where you have to sort of keep it straight in your head of both who you're playing and what you're going after, but also like where Philip's at in portraying that person um i think i think i've maintained all along that i 
I was wary at the beginning of the Americans of trying to make different characters sort of extreme versions of themselves or sort of, you know, the, I think there's danger of caricature in that. Um, so, and they were, it, it, it picked up on little things you said about the CIA when you talk about lying in the CIA. I may have imagined this, but I thought you said something about keeping it as close to the truth as possible or something like that. And that's what I've tried to do with the characters. I'm not trying to make them sort of extreme um uh, extreme differences from one to the other i'm trying to keep you know i'm trying to make it as real as possible so if if the audience believes you the hope is the person you're enacting in front of will believe you also or you know one informs the other you hope does clark feel like in on any level like less of a disguise at this point now that he's been around basically almost as long as philip it absolutely and and it's it's funny i think i think people project a lot onto a character or or you know, often people say, oh, when you do this as Clark, and I'm going, I have no idea what you're talking. I'm literally now put on the wig and glasses and talk to Martha. And, you know, <laughs> I, and to me, there, there's very, it, I don't know, maybe it's because I've been doing the two for long enough that I, the lines of the borders blur a little. And I, and I don't find there's this great difference. Um, and I think, I think as the seasons have progressed, we're now at a place that, you know, obviously where there's such intimacy between the two, but... Um, it's it's been this great foil, this sort of dramaturgical device where Philip says a lot of truth to Martha, I think, um, and therefore that that grounds it in a, in a lot of in in something very real. Well, it's funny because that's we talk about that when we write as a as just another real marriage. Yeah, and by now that relationship is real, I think, to all of us. The episode starts with Martha dragging Clark to this foster facility to look at kids, mm. and. There's a scene of a husband managing his wife's expectations. Mm. And then the next scene is Philip with Elizabeth talking about it. And in a way, it's just another scene of a husband managing his wife's I expectations. I know, I know. One of the, one of the many layers of, of the show. But it's sort, of, it's sort of amazing that, you know, you, you basically, in one marriage, talk about another marriage. Um, what other shows can do that? <laughs> Joe, did you know from the beginning, like when you were writing the pilot and then moving into season one, that... Clark would be such a big character or that that Martha's storyline would continue so much because we don't see a ton of Martha in the pilot really and we do get the sense that she's had several visits with Clark they have some sort of rapport did you imagine from the beginning that this relationship would take off in the way it did I don't really remember to to tell the truth I I knew that there were these uh, you know these stories of KGB illegals who married women. So I thought that was a very interesting idea that you could have a long-term relationship. But I, I, looking back, I can't remember. Well, was that the, was that the bit so that was that, called the secretary's offensive, yeah. right? Well, there was there was an initial case that the KGB had where someone had recruited or had married a secretary of an uh, important official. I think it might have been a NATO official or something like that. And they got a lot of intelligence out of it. And so when you hit one and it goes well, you try to repeat it. It's like Hollywood. Right? <laughs> <laughs> so... <laughs> <laughs> so the KGB thought, well, let's do it again all over the world. So the, they launched what they called the Secretary's Offensive, where they specifically went after women who were secretaries to important men in political positions. They've just found this out, that sort of junior agents from WE, WME were sleeping with secretaries from CAA to sort of gain intelligence about, you know, <laughs> what projects they had coming out. <laughs> uh, the, so the disguise we're actually seeing more of in this episode than Clark is uh, this new guy, Jim Baxter. Yeah. 
who was spending a lot of time with Kimberly. We love that disguise, though. There's something just great about that wig and glasses. It's got such a – it just fits that character. I, I know. That's, wor- that's worked incredibly well. It was well. tricky to find, though, because it had to be real. It had yeah. to be a good disguise. Yeah, yeah, it yeah. had to appeal to her. I know. And it had to allow enough of Philip's face to show – through for a long yeah. expressive storyline yeah yeah no it, that that did take a long time to 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 get right and the sort of conversations in costume were hilarious like <clears throat> various members of the costume department sort of trooped in and go if you were 16 look at this if you were 16 and i was like oh, shut up shut up <laughs> i feel okay, like a piece it. of if you meat were 16, yeah. <laughs> shut up! well let's talk about that we how do you approach getting comfortable with a storyline that can only work to the extent that it's uncomfortable. Yeah, yeah, and and you know, as you know, initially I was a little bit like, oh god, how we had this? some how, talks. I know, and how would this work out? This is the part of the podcast where we're going to make it seem like the whole thing was your idea, and we had nothing to do with it. We What's, resisted it. What's wrong with you? <laughs> <laughs> yes, we've said no to this storyline for three seasons. <laughs> But we finally caved in. He's relentless. I don't know where it's going. We don't know how to wrap it up. But so often things happen without us talking about them or we talk about little scenes. But this was one where it took some talking through. Yeah. And then and then, and then uh, it sort of struck me plain as day. You know, I was sort of going, oh, oh how is this going? You know, there was a degree of me being uncomfortable about this. And then I went, oh, hang on a minute. The whole idea is that Philip is uncomfortable about the this i'm getting it this whole drama thing i see what they're trying to do god it's good and then you just approach it like that and then it goes well it's it's fine because it uh, what it actually does it gives you the inner for free because you're sort of playing the scene with her and inside you're going oh god and that's what philip's doing so you know it's only it's just lacing more layers which is which is what you want i remember something you said about it too which was that there's a part of Philip the whole time whenever he's with her that is kind of, I don't remember if it was unconsciously or consciously or somewhere or both, trying to blow it the whole time yeah. because he's so uncomfortable yeah. with it. So he wants it to succeed and he wants it to fail. And that kind of informs the whole thing in such an interesting way. Well, one thing that was really interesting about that was, of course, because you're working with a 16-year-old, the more you try to blow it, the more on the hook she gets. It's weird. It's weird. It's weird. It's weird. I remember that conversation because you said you want to be, Philip wants to be able to go back and said, I tried, it didn't work. And, and so he, there is that, those initial scenes, there's something, I can't quite remember what it is, but there's, there's a few moments that he's a bit devil may care with it and it hooks her in more. And he's like, Oh God, that didn't work well. Um, but then, and then also then further on, he's hooked in on a far more emotional level when he begins to realize how sort of, you know, sad life is that sounds awful but but yeah you know she's she's the there's i suppose there are reason they go after these certain targets and and the sort of more humane element is 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 harder to juggle than when you're trying to extract information or time alone with a briefcase well gabriel says to philip in this episode that he when he's sort of trying to impress upon him like you're gonna have to sleep with this girl if you want the operation to succeed long term he says that uh conscience is a dangerous thing which i feel like has been philip's problem not just this season but last season with just the carnage and a lot of death and, yeah. and destruction last season and now this is giving him this sort of just deeply uncomfortable emotional thing that on top of the page conflict which obviously runs right alongside the the kimberly development 
where is Philip's breaking point on this? And how do you think these different things are sort of weighing on him independently? I think I think over this, especially the second season, we were beginning to see. Well, I for me, it was the emergence of this of of the the weight of it all on Philip and how how the the fine cracks were beginning to show, uh, you know, and giving way to sort of you know Bible tearing. And and to me that's where the that's the most interesting to play. It's 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 the hand in hand conflict of of having uh, having to do having a very strong mandate which you have to do in order to keep everyone's heads above water, but struggling with it enormously on uh, with with your with your conscience. And that's 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 what gives it the meat for me, the juice. Guys, I've done the math and you've seen the graphs. Philip has killed so many more people than Elizabeth. What's up with that? Why do you why do you make him so mean? I wonder that some of people. I wonder if people perceive the opposite because I have a lot of people, people saying to do me, "Perceive the opposite." Elizabeth's which is doing why all the dirty the work. Why doesn't well, Philip do it? Well, I wonder if the graph should go up on the slate site so people can see well, it. Well, not till the end of the season. I'm a well, humane <laughs> killer. Like, like, I'm, a, I'm a headshot guy. I'm like you know she beat she beats up Magomandel. She she does it for pleasure. <laughs> I'm a necessity. I'm a necessity killer. You're a necessity. I mean, episode one of season two was just like a bloodbath. You killed six people in that episode. Well, maybe that's why his numbers are high. That's why they are. And also, are you counting all the people he killed by accident in the submarine? I am. Well, that <laughs> seems unfair. Come on, that seems unfair. Exactly. Thank you. Okay, only if you share that. Then it's a little more even. She what? <laughs> this dead Soviet submarine. Yeah, she was in on the mission. All right, fine, fine. I'll, I'll take that one back. Neither of killed those people. You guys are joking, right? Yes. Oh. No? Yes. I can't tell. 100%. <laughs> it's on the list. It's, it's an serious? asterisk. I'll show it to you. There's a graph. Neither, <laughs> neither of us can tell if you're joking. <laughs> um, what is Philip's relationship with Gabriel like, and how is it different than we've seen with other handlers? He didn't have as complicated a relationship with Claudia as Elizabeth did. You didn't break a nose. No, true. At least not on screen that no. we saw. Yes. Um, yet, I don't know what yet. you and Margot did in the streets. That was wrestling. <laughs> Very little danger of sort of breaking bones. <laughs> um, what is Philip sort of getting out of this relationship with Gabriel and how is that either meeting or failing his expectations this season? What's What's been great about, you know, Every season is, is it's this sort of it's sort of like the beginning of the, it's an emergence of something it, you know season one was the emergence of Philip and Elizabeth um, and what's great is giving giving Gabriel the backstory the history they have together and then bringing back in it allows for a quite for a very enriched playing field so where where as I viewed uh, Gabriel as a very paternal figure coming into the season three very quickly, he's turned around to be the person who's one of you know the, one of my greatest thorns in my side in in his um, coveting of my daughter. Well, that's a weird way to put it. Coveting Why? of your daughter? No, that's uh, that'll work. Whose idea was the Scrabble thing? Did Frank come in with that? Yes, Mr. Mr. Langella, as yeah. I call him. Yep. Uh, so d- can you actually be d- have you actually played him in Scrabble between yeah takes? no he's incredibly good really yes he's incredibly good he's very good that's not surprising he's corrected us a number of times on script errors he's corrected me as well in the best way possible <laughs> more, <laughs> no, he's, he's more encouragement about than correcting <laughs> <laughs> I have yet to catch him in an error yeah. yes yeah he's thorough and precise which is everything you want Gabriel to be how so how is Frank thorough in as much that you know he can he can pick up on maybe the smaller nuances that you're slightly uh, ignoring uh, and encourage them to be brought a little more to the forefront which gives you are you still awake 
Mm. Well, well, you know, as you talk about this, it makes the process sound very serious, deep, rich, textured, and Mm. artistic. But I've seen you on set. (laughs) And you and Carrie and Frank will be on set. And you're two-thirds of the way through the dirtiest joke imaginable. And then whoever's directing says, action. And suddenly it's Philip, Gabriel, and Elizabeth in the midst of a very intense emotional scene. And then they'll say, cut. And then, without missing a beat, the punchline comes. Would you explain to us... Uh, like all joking aside, yeah. how do you, how do you track that? That's him, that, and I tell you why. Because he has the greatest sort of arsenal of filthy jokes that he'll happily tell. And and when you corpse, when you crack in a scene, it's it's usually to do with one person. But what he can do is he can tell the joke, and then when they say action, he's so laser like in his focus at you that you know you can't you can't go and you can't wave. He doesn't allow it. It's those people who kind of titter or have the twinkle that allow you to laugh but you kind of know it's like it's like with a silverback you go if i do something wrong here he'll just split my head open so <laughs> i i don't he, he gives you the severity of what would happen if you went coming up we'll talk about kgb sex training right after a word from our sponsor this late tv club insider podcast is sponsored by abc this march it's time to experience american crime One offense will send shockwaves through a community like never before, shattering families and igniting a media frenzy in this powerful, thought-provoking, and timely series. From the Oscar-winning screenwriter of 12 Years a Slave comes the year's most extraordinary new drama, Felicity Huffman and Timothy Hutton star. American Crime premieres Thursday, March 5th, 10-9 Central on ABC. Uh, the KGB sex training flashback is something that the writers have been trying to work in since season one. And first I of all, am on first of all, I'm, so I'm, many I'm, watch I'm interrupting, lists. I'm interrupting. Because, I, no, I'll tell you why. For seasons one, did I do it in two? I can't remember. But for season one, which was only two short years ago, um, I used to do my own flashback work. Uh, and then come season <laughs> season three, and I thought, oh, yeah, no, that won't be a problem for me. You know, a bit of a heavier wig, maybe, you know, a heavy filter, and off I go. <laughs> and I happened to walk past a sort of a, a casting conversation about the young Philip. <laughs> Which is it? Which is uh, a breaking moment in any actor's career when they finally realise you can't do your own flashback. You can't play seventeen-year-old. You can't you. play seventeen, but you can still play elderly Philip. Yeah. <laughs> Don't worry. Yes, yes. You can play your father in the flashback to World War Two. And this is another no word of a lie. The beginning of this season, uh, what? Um, Laurie Hicks used to do for Clark was was draw in some lines for me and she was so elated to almost say I almost don't have to draw in the lines anymore and I was like my god these have been rough two years so like thank you yeah. you didn't have to say that thought out loud that one could have stayed on the inside yes uh, but I know the writers have wanted to do this pretty much from the beginning one writer in particular, it was in two episodes last season, and it came out of both of them. And of all the things I've had to research on the show, which I am surely on watch lists for, this is the one where, like, I, I don't know, I'm in all sorts of databases because I did all this research last season to see if there was any actual literature on clandestine sex training. And? Um, mostly fan fiction and erotica. Not a lot of actual stuff, you oh, know? Okay. But hey, you had to read it to figure it out. So. But in but in the intelligence service, uh, you know, is the sort of... What's the reality of, of sort of... Well, there's, there's one known case that is reported in the Matrokin archive, which is that there was a British guy who had been a police officer, and he was recruited by the KGB to be a Romeo, somebody, somebody that they wanted to send around the world. That's to, a lie. I wasn't a police officer. I was a Boy Scout. <laughs> it was a Boy Scout. And, uh, 
anyway, this guy was, he had retired or been fired. I can't remember which. And, and they wanted him to go around the world and, and recruit people, uh, men and women to uh, spy for the KGB. And he was a handsome, appealing guy. I think he was in his thirties or forties. I can't remember which. And after he had been recruited, he was at a hotel somewhere outside of England and there was a knock at his door. He had not apparently been prepared for this. And the KGB had sent two beautiful Russian women to give him sex training for a couple of weeks. That's the one known case in the literature. A little bit different from what we arranged for young Philip. (laughs) (laughs) Dear God, yes. And at the other end of the scale, Philip Jennings at a tender age of 18. (laughs) Sex training was was really was one part of it. But what I think was interesting to watch unfold from script through the set and the editing was that conversation between Philip and Elizabeth at the very end. And that question about, is that what you do with me? Mm. One of the things we talk about is that we see so many different interpretations for these things Mm. from a writing standpoint. And we love all of that variety and all of that richness. But you have to find a singular way as an actor to play one of that or prioritize that. Mm. How how do you come at those moments? More often than not, the, the immediate instinctive thought i'll always go with so to me that line that line was i found so it still haunts me slightly because there's so much reality in it for 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 a marriage that you go you know to for a long standing oh no it's marriage a relationship you know that has those well we're going deep has those cadences and ebbs and flows you know within a sexual relationship it sometimes is you know it's it's maintained by an element of imagination sort of sometimes unbeknownst to the other partner so to me that one line sort of slew me and and churned my stomach and made me feel uncomfortable and, but it's so much truth in it and so much I was going to say resonance but uh, I mean truth <laughs> You know, I think that I'll never forget a call we had with the network about that line. We were talking about it and, and they, they really loved it. And they just happened to ask, you know, how did, how did, what was our thinking about that line? And there were about four of us sitting around the table, four writers sitting around the table. And we went around the table and, and we had never really had this discussion internally because we all just were in love with the line. So we went around the table and each person said what they made of it. And there were four completely different answers, completely different, but each one mm. just really moving and powerful. And I think that's one of the times when, when something is very strong. Mm. Someone said in the writer's room, and I believe they were quoting someone else, so pardon the out-of-context lack of attribution, but uh, I think what they said was successful long-term marriages are either an incredible triumph of imagination or an incredible failure of imagination. There's not much in between. <laughs> oh my God, that's so good. That's so good. Well, um, I, I, I think that line, it really, it just invites you to bring your life into what you feel yeah. when you hear that line, which I think is great. This is also, we have seen more flashbacks to Elizabeth's life and childhood than we have Philip throughout throughout the series. So this is also one of the few windows we've had into Philip's early life and how some of that is playing into to his psyche. I know you guys have, Joe and Joel, have written flashbacks for Philip that have come out or have just been Ooh. taken off the table. Do have, go on. What happened? <laughs> what, would have, what could have happened you to young Philip? We didn't see. know who was going to play young Philip. <laughs> 
Uh, we had, we had they were this, like, he just doesn't look six or seven anymore. <laughs> oh, I was going to say we had a 25-year-old Philip. <laughs> yeah. yeah. We were going to do the 30-year-old Philip, but then also... Just couldn't, no. couldn't reach. He was too much of a stretch. The audience will not yeah. go along with that. I mean, that. that's the way he walks now. So. <laughs> yeah. It's like Roger Moore. <laughs> Uh, do you, Matthew, have you like built any uh, Philip backstory up for yourself that you think informs a lot of the way he interacts with his kids, the way he interacts with Elizabeth and the way he approaches the job? Or do you just try to work with uh, what's on the what's on the page and what what you know about Philip? No, the bizarrely enough, and, and this may sound like coincidence, but this is the kind of backstory I gave myself is, is, is very close to what Elizabeth's is. And it's, it's that thing where I think you have a, you know, you have the V in the road whereby, whereby, um, I think Philip was raised in, you know, as were so many of them um, coming out of the war in, in, in great poverty. And how that manifests itself is the way we see. He, he enjoys the, the more materialistic elements of American life. Um, and also, you know, probably quite, quite possibly grew up without a father or, you know, lost a father at an early age. And then, therefore, that manifests its way in that he wants to be the best father he can possibly be or as good as he can possibly be. Um, so that was the backstory I gave for Phil. One of our writers a couple of weeks back talked about one of the things he likes uh, as a writer in television as opposed to film or stage is that you get to spend so much more time with the characters. And therefore, not only do you get to show the audience more, but you get to know the character better as you go because things can change and develop and, and all that good stuff. Um, and I know that you've come from a more of a stage background. They've done a bit of television as well before this. Um, do you as an actor, feel like there's a big difference in how you approach the character because we're going to spend so much more time with him on screen than we would in just a play or a movie? Or do you kind of look at them all as uh, part of the same larger piece? No, I, I always approach, I always approach, you know, all three the same. The, sort of the, the, the beauty of television is the unfolding that, that's allowed. Um, and, and that, you know, we, we, in this season especially, we see it, uh, you know, the way it's actually addressed, that, you know, things... Things do change, and and it's a, it's a real luxury to have that to evolve in in that way over over such a, a period of time. You know, it's it's still you know yes you do you can do a play for six months to a year, but you're doing the same play. Whereas you know there's there's a real there's a real journey and a real arc in television. How do you guys feel, Joe and Joel? That if at all that uh, you know Elizabeth's obviously had this huge change at the end of last season where she said. You know, I've I've changed my mind. I do think we should recruit Paige. Do you think that Philip has gone through as a, a similar big change, or do you think that he is sort of still moving towards that, or has changed in different ways? How do you how do you see his transformation so far in the series? Um, I think Philip has been going through. You know, we talk a lot about both these characters and their and their evolution because we're we're very interested in characters not evolving. You know, I think different people have different takes. Some people think that. You know, characters on in television dramas who don't change is the most realistic uh, way to look at characters. And Joel and I have both felt from the beginning that characters who do change and evolve are more interesting. And uh, I, I think Philip's evolution has, in a sense, been easier to track because you see him struggling with questions really from the beginning. You know, you see things on his conscience and, and you see how he struggles with them. And that is a character in evolution. When a character is dealing with something like that, he cannot but evolve. Um, and you'll, you'll, I don't want to give anything away, but you'll see how he evolves. But you're already seeing that there are things he doesn't want to do and things that when he does them, it hurts. 
And that's a person whose soul is moving on to a new place. His, his whole consciousness is developing. Um, I think the same thing, not, not the same thing, but there's also an evolution taking place with Elizabeth, but we talk about it developing in kind of cracks, little, little you know, cracks in her that develop uh, more slowly and sort of where it's going to take her or where, she, where she's going to go uh, is also something we're not going to talk about or, or tell you where it is, but I see her in evolution also. Anybody else? I agree. No, that was great, Joe. Thank you. Um, I'm afraid of spoiling anything. Yes. Yeah, right. Joe essentially spilled the beans Joe on broke the entire this. This is why four we seasons can't do ahead. It live. <laughs> <laughs> I knew I mean, it. Elizabeth's no wonder, a man. This is what I often say. Really? Quit the CIA or was let go? <laughs> It's all suddenly clear. Um, seriously, guys, thank you so much for joining us this week and talking about episode five. Thank you. And to our listeners, join us next week when we have a very exciting guest. Carrie Russell will be joining us here in the writer's office. I'm Molly Newsbaum. Thank you for listening. <laughs>